Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith. I host Burnley FC podcast, known and ever, and you can find me on Twitter at Jamie Smith. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Rasmus, I'm the Chelsea representative on the podcast and you can find me on Twitter as well, um, at Chelsea Rumors. Awesome, thanks so much for joining us once again. Uh, obviously we will start with Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Uh, not so bad a week for Leicester, although the match didn't go their way in the Champions League. You do go through uh, to the round of 16 there. And then what I think most people would say was a fairly surprising win over Manchester City. Yeah, including most of the uh, King Power crowd, I think, on the surprising stakes. Um, <laughs> it was a match that I think we went into with relatively low expectations, given the level of performance in recent weeks. Um, certainly the midweek 5-0 thumping over Porto. I think a lot of people wondered whether that would kill the morale a little bit <clears throat> within the team. Obviously, we did make a huge amount of changes and we had 10 changes. Um, from the previous Champions League game. So it was very much a second-string side. We had Ben Hamer in goal, who I think last played two, two and a half years ago for Leicester. So a lot of people had forgotten he was still under contract, I think. Um, I think he can just get away with not turning up to training and just kind of coming in when he wants because everyone forgets that he's there. Um, so, yeah, we it was very much a surprise. It was an unchanged team compared to the team uh, that we'd put out last time in the Premier League, which was a little bit surprised as well. I think a, f- a few people thought Ranieri would give in to that urge to tinker a little bit, and he didn't, um, which kind of was paid dividends almost instantly, really. Um, Jamie Vardy broke his his goalless streak. Um, has been one of the main talking points, I think, in, in the press, and obviously being in England, you know, with him being an Indi- England international as well. Um, hasn't scored for for quite a long time. I think he only had one Premier League goal before um, Saturday. So he got off the mark almost instantly. Really good through ball by Soleimani and just the Man City defence kind of not being organised from kickoff, I guess, and just getting exposed. Um, They tried to change their system a little bit. Um, some people, I think, I thought they were going a flat back four, but it looked like on the on the replays from the start of the kickoff they were kind of going three at the back. But Pablo Zabaleta was just kind of floating in this kind of right back, right wing, I'm not really sure where I'm meant to be kind of position. Um, and basically that set a tone for the game. They were abysmal. Um, as good as we were, they were really, really bad. Um, defensively, just shambolic, unorganised, um, lackadaisical on the ball. John Stones was a, just a terrible, terrible 90 minutes from him. Um, obviously, been brought in to play this kind of play out from the back, passing football. Um, and that just kind of came back to the bite um quite a lot. Second goal was uh, really well worked. 
<clears throat> from a, a ball into the area, fell to Silimani again, turn provider, laid a nice little ball out to Andy King on the edge of the D. And he does what Andy King does very, very rarely now, but he used to do all the time when we were playing at a lower level and just um, curled one into the top corner. I, pro- <clears throat> I think Claudio Bravo probably could have done better. Um, he did get quite a decent hand to it. And I think if he had kind of stronger wrists, then he could have pushed it over the bar or at least onto the bar. Um, but yeah, he just kind of flapped at it a little bit once he got there did all the hard work, so to speak, and then made a kind of poor contact to it and, and it slipped past him into the top corner. That was within the first five minutes. So the KP was rocking and, you know, fair play to the Leicester players. We didn't sit back and try and defend a lead at that point, even though City were obviously trying to force the issue at 2-0 down. Um, and once again, it was, uh, I think it was the most classical Leicester goal you could ever hope to see the third one. Um, it was a long diagonal ball from Christian Fuchs, um, a one-touch control slash pass from Morris um, into Vardy, kind of a, a, sl- a sideways ball. Um, and, and Vardy just slipped in behind, went round the goalkeeper and rolled it into an empty net. Uh, so at that point, yeah, 20-odd minutes in, 3-0 up. Happy days, you feel like the job's done. And we just kind of got through to half-time. Man City missed a couple of presentable opportunities. Kolarov had a, a header at the back post, which he probably should have done better with. Um, and then we came out second half and basically it was just like a training exercise. It was attack versus defence for the vast majority. Um, but we did manage to get another another goal. Um, again, Stone's awful attempted back pass left it really short. <clears throat> Claudio Bravo didn't know whether to, to stay or go. Ended up coming out. Jamie Vardy nipped in, went round him and rolled it in from what seemed like an impossible angle. Hit the post um, and was kind of spinning on the line. Bakary Sangler tried to go in and, and clear it and it just gone over the line according to the goal line technology. So at that point, you know, I think any hope of Man City had of a comeback then had been extinguished and obviously Guardiola's face just told a picture on the sidelines um, and, and their heads went down. They did score uh, twice in the in the closing minutes, collar off with a really good free kick um, and then Nolito got one as well, came off the bench. But just a really shocking and a worrying performance, I think, if I was a Man City fan, given that they're meant to be challenging for the title. And without Aguero, um, without Otamendi and without Fernandinho, they looked a shadow of... Uh, you know, even the team that was struggling at times under Pellegrini last year. Um, so given that they've got another three games without Aguero, um, I'd be seriously worried over this festive period, how many points they're going to get. But from a Leicester point of view, just delighted to get another win on the board. Obviously in front of a home crowd helps as well. Um, and hopefully that will jeers up going into the festive period because it's so busy now, um, as you know, as it always is in English football. So it's good to get the, the morale up after the, the, the midweek Champions League debacle and then focus on the draw uh, tomorrow to find out who we get in the last 16. Yeah, speaking of the round of 16, and I suppose this could change depending on who you draw, but thus far, you've done much better in the Champions League than the Premier League, and it feels like that's been the focus. Do you think that that would continue uh, regardless of, of who you get in the next round? Yeah, um, I can't see it changing in terms of the um, approach. I still think that we've got you know enough in terms of the squad, um, the depth, and, and looking at some of the teams around the bottom of the, the Premier League as well, um, to, to think that we will hopefully avoid being in a serious relegation struggle. There'll probably be points at which the season will look over our shoulders and say, oh, we're you know, three or four points away from the, the bottom four or whatever. But I'd like to think that even with the Champions League proving a, a potential distraction, quote-unquote, um, that we'd have enough um, points to, to not seriously have to worry about going down. Um, I think there's going to be need to be money spent in January, uh, because we are looking very, very light, even the result aside uh, yesterday. Andy King and Daniel Amate did fantastically well in the central midfield, but that has very much not been the case 
um, for the last three or four weeks. And, you know, you can't rely on those kind of performances every week to get you out of trouble. Um, so I think there'll be a serious amount of investment in January, hopefully to bolster the squad. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the Champions League could be two more games and we could be out. Um, there's a very real possibility that if you draw, you know, one of the bigger guns, uh, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, um, even Paris Saint-Germain are in our, our potential draws. Um, so, you know, if, if those guys come out, then theoretically you, you're probably going to be out after after two more games. So hopefully we can build up enough points over Christmas and before those um, games kick in in early February, because there's a huge gap now between the draw being made and the, and the games actually happening um, in terms of the amount of league fixtures you play in between the two. So I hope that we're just able to keep a focus and not get too distracted by looking, you know, six weeks, two months ahead um, and letting that affect the league form in the same way that it seems to have been um, when we're playing kind of every couple of weeks in the Champions League, because, um, we, you know, we're far from safe, but we need to we need to not take anything for granted and make sure that we, we do the basics and pick up enough points not to have to uh, put ourselves in a situation where we're really struggling, especially when we lose uh, several players to the African Cup of Nations as well. January is not going to be easy uh, without Mares and Soleimani. Uh, because they've kind of become these quite integral parts to the attacking uh, puzzle. So, you know, the pressure is going to be on the other players um, and maybe we'll bring in some more replacements for them. But yeah, it's, um, I'm hoping, you know, the Champions League is a huge adventure and that's the way we've always looked at it. I just hope that it's not to the detriment too much of, you know, our Premier League uh, credentials for next year when we're back on kind of a, an even keel and we'd almost get like an average season out of Leicester because the, the last two have, I think, been um, polar opposites in terms of where we're <laughs> going to finish. Yeah, certainly uh, two different seasons for you guys. Uh, obviously, winning the title was a little bit different than barely being safe the previous year. Um, now to Jamie, where we're going to be talking about Burnley for a little bit. They get the win against Bournemouth team that I still can't get a good read on. Every time it looks like they're about to start doing well, they uh, fall a little bit short of the mark, but not to take anything away from Burnley, who obviously picked up the win. Yeah, definitely. I think there's only uh, one of us on the podcast today didn't win, so it should be a nice positive uh, podcast. Uh, um, <laughs> what? Um. <laughs> yeah, we'll look forward to that a bit later. <laughs> yeah, fantastic win for, for Burnley. I thought this was a really important game, actually. We'd lost three in a row going into this one. Traditionally, we are quite bad around the Christmas period, so it's starting to get a little bit concerning after quite a good start to the season. But yeah, fantastic game. Another match at Turf Moor where both teams have really, really gone for the win, which I think suits our game because we like to play on the break quite a lot. And a, a fantastic three points. I think that's five home wins now this season, which is as many combined as Manchester City and Manchester United. So just goes to show what a what a fortress Turf Moor's becoming this season. Um, a fast start, absolutely crucial, as it has been in a few of our home games this season when you tune up inside... 16, 17 minutes, it obviously gives you a, a, a fantastic foundation to build on for the rest of the game, but it wouldn't be Burnley if it didn't have quite a lot of nerves at the end. Bournemouth obviously came from behind last week at Liverpool. They looked like they were going to do it again at times this game, but Burnley held on, and I think it's absolutely crucial that we showed that we, we could do that after a few poor results in a row, gets us back up into mid-table, put some daylight between us and the the relegation zone is obviously going to be a long battle, but games like that are the sorts of matches that we have to win. I think we've got Middlesbrough and Sunderland up at home next, so this was always going to be a really important run of games. 
But to get the points is, is just crucial. And I, I feel like we totally deserved it. And after some really poor performances recently, it was good to see us on the front foot, trying to score goals, even towards the end of the game, we were trying to score more and put the match away, kill Bournemouth off. I don't think we've won by more than one goal yet this season. So we're obviously trying to, to make it a bit more secure this time. But we're really threatening at home, even though we do play play on the break, even in front of our own fans. So it's it's certainly been good value for, for season ticket holders at home. They've seen five home wins and, and an awful lot of goals. And Burnley is sharing their goals around a lot this season. The three different goal scorers again at the weekend. None of the strikers scored, so... Um, a lot more positive at the moment compared to a couple of weeks ago when it looked like we were going to start sliding down the league. Yeah, I do want to ask about Sean Deutsch's team selection because there have been a lot of questions asked over social yeah. media the past two weeks uh, when that's been announced, obviously, against Stoke. did not work as well as it did this week against Bournemouth. What's what's that all about? Yeah, it's been tough. I mean, we've had some, some injuries in the last couple of weeks, obviously. All, t- all teams get injuries, but we've got a small squad and they hit us hard when we get injuries. So we've been without Tom Heaton for the last couple of weeks. Massively important player for us, although Paul Robinson's done quite well in goal. Um, Stephen Defoe, heartbeat in the midfield. He's got fitness problems. He can only really play an hour and he, he was left out for last week at Stoke. And our best winger, Johan Goodmanson's not been playing the last couple of weeks either. So there's been three or four key players missing. Um it's it's more formation than, than team selection, I think, that's been crucial. We, we're playing 4-5-1 at home, which on paper seems quite defensive, but it allows us to get men up in support of the, the lone striker. Um, Jeff Hendrick, who was a club record signing, a lot of people have been questioning his place in the team. It was his best performance of the season by far on Saturday, regardless of the, the sensational goal that he scored to, to open the season. He really seems to have uh, hit his stride a bit in that game and hopefully he'll carry some momentum on from that because if Hendrik performs as well as he did on Saturday throughout the season, then it'll make a huge difference. We've just not seen that from him yet this season. It feels like the balance of the team is really good at home. Um, our wingers always have to protect the full-backs and that's their primary job, I would say, rather than attacking. But it was absolutely crucial that we got players up in support of Sam Volts when he was playing up front on his own. Then we went to four four two. Andre Gray came on, played very, very well, set up the goal for, for George Boyd. But we just committed a lot more players in attacks than we have done in the last few weeks. And when we do that, we will create problems for teams because we get balls in the box more than a lot of teams in the Premier League. They're not used to defending that many balls in the box. We are quite direct, but the the quality of passes hasn't been there until Saturday. And it was there this weekend. And I think that's what saw us through against Bournemouth. Um, One thing to keep an eye on is just concentration levels. Both goals were conceded in injury time. I think Dash was a bit unhappy with the first goal because it was over the, the minimum added time. Maybe time should have been called before that, but we then conceded an injury time at the end of the second half as well, which suggests it's not really a timekeeping problem. It's more a concentration thing. We conceded quite a few goals in, in added time this season. So it's obviously something we can work on. But we're scoring plenty of goals at home. And I think while we're doing that, there's going to be a lot of positivity and a lot of teams won't want to come to Turf more because we can hurt teams. Yeah, and on to Rasmus, who is joining us after a uh, brief-slash-long-ish hiatus. So, very glad to have you back. Uh, Chelsea, things are going pretty well for them. 
at the moment after a slowish start. We saw a Conte out rumor around the match week four. Um, obviously, you chose not to do that, and wisely so, as now you're breaking records and such. How has this turnaround for Chelsea kind of come to be? Um, well, before we get into that, first of all, I would just like to um, address the story about child abuse occurring within Chelsea Football Club mm. in the 1970s. And I really don't want to say too much about that, just um, that my thoughts are with, obviously, the victims of this, and that such a horrible thing has has no place anywhere, uh, let alone in football and let alone at Chelsea Football Club. So, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a shocking story, and I hope we don't hear too many of those in the future. Uh, apart from that, as you were saying, very truly, we're we're doing really well. Uh, the main story these days is obviously that we've won nine on the bounce, uh, and if you told me that that would happen after we just suffered back to back league defeats against Liverpool. And Arsenal, I probably would just have laughed. Uh, I remember looking at the fixture list after that terrible day at the Emirates and trying to figure out where we would pick up the points to finish in the top four and secure Champions League football next season. That was that was pretty much my aim at that point. Uh, but then, as you say, Conte he he uh, he implemented a new system, uh, the three four three or three five two, depending on how you look at it. And um, now I find myself looking at the fixture list and wondering who can really stop us from beating them. Because our next four fixture, fixtures are uh, Sunderland and Palace away, and then Bournemouth and Stoke at home. And with all due respect to those clubs, they're, they're obviously uh, very capable clubs and they're capable of causing an, an upset, uh, even against a, a club like Chelsea. Um, but there are still fixtures that we really should aim to take three points from, from all of them. Um, and not to mention that after that, we're playing Spurs away as our first fixture of, of 2017. <laughs> and obviously, it's, it's a nice way to start the new year with, with three points. So I'm looking forward to that as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to. But, you know, if, if we do win those, and obviously it's, it's optimistic to expect 12 points from 12 um, within the next four fixtures. But if we do uh, win those fixtures... I wonder where we'll be, and whether we'll obviously we'll be first, but how far ahead of the others will, will we then be? Uh, because Liverpool are dropping points. We saw that today and we saw that last week as well. Uh, obviously, Arsenal are only three points after us, but they're playing City next week. So it's mm. very exciting times for us, really. And, and when you're on a run like this, you know, the sky's the limit, really. Uh, it, it doesn't happen every year. And we're only two wins away from equaling the most straight league wins in a season. Uh, obviously, Arsenal, they've had 14, but that was over two seasons, so it doesn't count. <laughs> also because it's Arsenal. But yeah, it's it's just amazing to to see how we've we've transformed into a team of, of confident players who take on any opponent. We saw that against uh, City, especially last week, where normally we go, when we go to the Etihad, we're, we get run over, really, or, or we park the bus uh, we didn't do that last week. We played some really good football at times, and, and we had we had the rub of the green as well. Like, we were lucky, I will admit that, especially on Kevin De Bruyne's chance where he hit the crossbar from just a few yards out. It was, it was that was that was very lucky. But apart from that, we were really deserving of a win, and that's that's a feeling that we haven't really been used to in recent years, even with Mourinho, when it, everything was going really well. So. Um, 
it's it's actually a little bit hard for me to uh to take i i don't really fully understand it yet I, every week i still find myself thinking these very pessimistic thoughts because of the season we had last season mm. where essentially i didn't expect us to win any game at one point and and i can feel that those feelings are still somewhat stuck inside of me and and even though we've won nine on the bounce now uh every game we have to be fully concentrated because it, it only takes so little to to you know go on a bad run like we like we tried last year after being champions yeah i, I there i have a weird question uh and also to bring the your level of excitement down a little bit because you're just far too happy um it seems like in recent memory, a lot of times your best player one year just kind of vanishes the following. It happened with Mata. It happened with Hazard. Now it's seemingly happening with Willian, who uh, obviously went home to deal with a family issue and then came back and seems to not be able to find his way into his side, which is fair because Victor Moses is playing very well. And why would you change things uh, when you're on this kind of a run? But do you think this is a, a weird trend? Can William find his way back into the starting side soon, or should he even? Um, it might not be a popular opinion, but but I don't I don't think William is as good as as people tend to believe that he is. Um, I think a lot of people remember him for scoring all those free kicks uh, within like two months. He scored six free kicks or something, which was incredible, and and he really bailed us out a few times. Um, obviously, it was our player of the year, but that was that was in a really, really, really bad season. That was the worst <laughs> season that Chelsea have had in I don't know how many years, but a really long time. Um, he, he's he's a good player, but but right now Pedro is showing things that I don't think William ever really did in a Chelsea shirt. He's he's got pace and he's got um, he's got a good right foot as well. But sometimes I question his his understanding. His reading of the game, he's he's nowhere near Hazard on that level, um, in that aspect, if you ask me. And I know that a lot of people, it's it's actually something that divides the Chelsea fan base into uh, how good William really is. Because some people believe that he's a world beater, you know, that any team would have him. And then there are some people that believe that he's punching a bit above his weight, really. So, and I, I must admit, I'm I'm... I'm probably more the latter than the former. Uh, uh, I do appreciate everything that he did last season and that we might even have been relegated without him, who knows. But um, I think, for me, uh, William is is not a top, top player. And you mentioned uh, Mata as another example. That was mainly down to Mourinho. I, I don't think anyone's ever really questioned Juan Mata's footballing ability because he is brilliant but he didn't he didn't suit Mourinho's style of play at all and and obviously that's why he faded um it is true with Hazard and and I simply don't have a, an answer for you as to why he faded so much last season it was uh, he was he was struggling with some, some injuries but it must have been his confidence that was completely sh- shot at one point uh, because you saw it returning towards the end of the season, and he was just yeah. destroying defenses, and he's doing it again now this season. So that was that was just a very long, very weird blip in in form, and I hope he he continues to fulfil his potential now. 
All right, well, on to Tottenham. Uh, not as fun a week, <laughs> weirdly enough, as Jamie uh, referenced earlier. Uh, we lost in a very boring uh, 1-0 to Manchester United. Uh, really, the the big story this week from within uh, Spurs fandom is just how much of a petulant individual Della Ali is becoming. Uh, and to be fair, he may have been like that before, but we were just more patient because he was just breaking through and he was young. And uh, I guess we thought there would be more discipline instilled upon him by Poch, who tends to be a fairly uh, discipline-heavy manager. And we have just not seen that. And his actions continually putting us in pressure is something that is starting to wear thin uh, on the fan base as a whole. Sure, there are moments of brilliance. We saw that midweek uh, against Seska, and that was very fun to watch. But surrounding what was a great goal and an overall great performance was just every single time there was a foul or something, you just see him nipping around, shoving folks. It's it's very, very frustrating having someone like that or Diego Costa on your team. Had to get you back. Um, but, uh, hopefully. He, he scored 12 league goals this season. I'm okay. He, Ali has not, uh, as you may oh. know. <laughs> fun fact. Um, but anyway, uh, that is a, a large issue that really needs to be addressed. Uh, other concerning things this week, we didn't sign anyone to an extension. It's been quite some time since we've gone a full week without signing anyone new. I was expecting a phone call. It didn't happen. Um, but Toby Alderweireld is obviously the next up on the block. Oh, that was a big story this week also. Was everybody freaking out that Toby Alderweireld could be had for $25 million in January? And I went on a whole rant about this on Twitter, so I don't want to get too far into it. But just a fact is that Daniel Levy has never had a buyout clause in a player's contract at Tottenham. So while very respected journalists, especially out of Belgium, are saying that it's in there and that it has different activation dates. So I do not want to say they're wrong because it's people that I've listened to before and, and have come to trust. It's just a very strange situation. What I can say is there is no way that Toby leaves in January for $25 million. Whether it's there or not, whether or not we get a new contract in place, whether or not it's activated in 2019, which is the latest thing that's being reported, I'm not sure. I just do not think that he will leave for that price. And the people that are getting way ahead of themselves and assuming that any club in the top six can just all of a sudden sign arguably the best center back in the league, I think is fairly delusional. Um, Obviously, we have loads of his friends at the club. He's performing very well. Yes, we've fallen out of the Champions League, but, uh, you know, every chance of doing it again this year, although we need to um, play better. <laughs> but uh, I would, I would, I do not think it's possible. I think there's a 0% chance of that happening. Um, rewinding a little bit to midweek, we did beat uh, CSKA Moscow or Seska. I've been uh, gotten complaints for calling it both things. So uh, pick one and stick with it, I guess. But um, we had already been eliminated from the Champions League, as had they. Uh, but we do show up, put on a very good performance. Ali's douchebaggery notwithstanding. Um, do come away with a 3-1 win. It puts us in the Europa League. And honestly, there were not that many terrific teams that dropped down into the Europa League. And so now I have false hope yet again. Like, oh, if we take it seriously, you know, it's another route into the Champions League. And we just won't win it. But I'm going to think that we can for an indeterminate amount of time. Um, and as everybody was joking midweek, thank goodness that Sevilla managed to make it through in the Champions League as they've won just an absurd amount of Europa League titles as of late. Um, but anyway, yeah, so not not the most fun week. 
for Tottenham, especially what should have been a very big match at Wembley uh, to decide our Champions League fate. Unfortunately, we did not uh, seal the deal uh, in previous weeks against Monaco and against Leverkusen. Uh, it was strange that Pochettino played such a full-strength 11 midweek this week and a match that had much less ramifications than the previous Champions League match. I'm not really sure what he was playing at there. And there are questions being asked of Poch right now. There have been some Poch out people who are crazy. Um, but there are questions that need to be asked. He's still a very young manager. I've always uh, been very open about the fact that I think there's a lot of things that he still needs to work on. It's just he. it is very impressive how good he is already. But that does not mean he is perfect or without flaw. Uh, and so I think this this is an interesting thing. We were kind of talking with Jamie there about Dice's thing, although that's a lot injury-based. I think Pochettino is just getting some team sheets wrong. Not today, by the way, which people were complaining after the match that we should have tried something different. We played our best available 11. It's just that we also played a lot of them uh, midweek. And now we have, obviously, this second match day coming very quickly uh, with matches on Tuesday and Wednesday. We are on the Wednesday, of course. So, all in all, not the most exciting week. Not the worst. Uh, I think we're 10 points off top and 4 points eh, somewhere around there. Uh, off top four so everything's still in sight we're actually one point better off right now than we were last season although you have to be a little careful when you compare seasons because point tallies can vary greatly um but all yeah not not too upset do hope that ali stops being so petulant and that we can pick up some more points uh, we have hull and uh, jamie's burnley on the horizon and hopefully we can get uh some significant points out of those two fixtures all right, we have a fairly short topic, but I just wanted to get a sense of this. I was at a, a party with a group of friends last night that are not super into this sport on the whole, and they asked me what seemed like a very simple question that I'm not sure there's a super easy answer to. So I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts on who is the best current manager in the Premier League. We'll start with you, Jim. Yeah, this is a hard question. I'm gutted now that I'm first because I get to make an idiot <laughs> of myself before everyone else weighs in and goes... Yeah, yeah, no, really yeah, this guy, obviously. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, it's difficult uh, because I think there are so many different factors involved. Like, you've obviously got, like, obviously, the obvious answer is Con- uh, Conte at the moment um, at Chelsea. I think the way that he has switched um, that that team around, and you know, it seems like a relatively simple kind of switch to a, a, a back three, uh, as Rasmus alluded to, either that three four three or three five two, however you want to take it, but. The fact of the matter is he's he's found a winning formula with the, the talent at his disposal. And yeah, he signed players. But I think for me, like the biggest breakout player, if you like, of this year has been Victor Moses and the way that he's kind of molded him into, you know, he was a kind of nomadic yeah. loanee. You know, he's been here, there and everywhere um, and, you know, struggled to really put down any roots. You know, I think there was a lot of people, I guess, that would have imagined he wasn't quite good enough for a team like Chelsea, but maybe too good for a more middling team. Um, really falling into that middle ground. Whereas Conte's clearly, you know, seen something in him that, you know, previous managers uh, like Mourinho hadn't seen or, or just didn't want to use him in that way. Um, and so I think, obviously, that's the easy answer at the moment because they're top of the league. They've won nine in a row and they've only conceded once in the, you know, the last uh, nine games in that run. So um, that's an easy answer. But then you've got the resources issue, I suppose. Like That's a mitigating factor for a lot of teams. Um, you've got people like Tony Pulis, who is very, very good at not getting teams relegated. Um, and that's a, you know, a huge thing in itself. Um, he's kind of your go-to if you're really struggling and he's out of work or even close to being out of work. Um, 
kind of the manager that you would throw to. I quite like Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. I think he has got a big future and I wouldn't be. I, I know a lot of people have, um, you know, mooted him for the Arsenal job um, when Wenger moves on eventually, when he decides that his time is up and he's happy to to throw in the towel at Arsenal. Um, and I think he's done very well <clears throat> establishing Bournemouth, you know, who are in essence a tiny, tiny club with a really small ground, you know, not a huge amount of resources. I know they've got kind of wealthy benefactors somewhere along the line, but in terms of their, you know, infrastructure and stuff, there's only so much you can do um, when you've got a, a ground. I think there's like 14, 15,000 people, uh, which when you compare that to a lot of kind of even average Premier League clubs, it's kind of half the size of a lot of grounds um, now. So I think he's doing very, very well. And I think he's super promising. Like the guy is really, really young because he gave up playing so early in his career. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has this huge, career ahead of him um, maybe we'll take him to be an England manager one day and eventually ruin his career and hound him out of the job for being boring <laughs> like we do with every other manager that gets appointed um, but yeah but for me I, you can't look past Conte at the moment um, obviously interested to see what the other guys think I think I know what Rasmus is going to say um, given, <laughs> given his club yeah. but yeah um, for me, yeah. Chelsea is uh, a <laughs> place to look at the moment yeah I agree with, with pretty much everything Jim said that it's it's very hard to say anything apart from Conte at the moment. I think a lot of people were billing this season as a battle between Guardiola and Mourinho, Manchester City against Manchester United. Well, fourth and sixth in the league at the minute, so it just proves that getting the superstar manager and throwing a lot of money at it isn't necessarily uh, the solution. Chelsea obviously still have a lot of the players that won the title a couple of years back. Players like Hazard and Costa have, have started performing more to the level that they used to, but the switch to a back three from Conte, although a lot of people have talked about him using a back three before the start of the season, it looks like a masterstroke, and teams just don't seem to to know how to combat that at the moment. I'm sure managers will start to work it out, and there will be something that counteracts it, but at the moment, it looks like Chelsea's title, and it looks like Conte is a shoo-in for, for manager of the year. Um just to echo what, what Jim was saying, I, th- I think Eddie Howe for the Arsenal job is the obvious domestic candidate, at least. They might well go abroad, but I'd love to see a, a young British manager given a chance, a very stable, well-run club, money to spend, a club that will be patient. I think that would be the ideal opportunity for someone like Howe, who is obviously very, very progressive, and I'm interested to see how he does away from Bournemouth, having obviously had a period at Burnley that didn't go that well. Um, and that's the only job he's had away from Bournemouth where he's been so successful over two periods. So very intrigued to see how he gets on. Um, Tony Peel is doing a fantastic job at West Brom. Nobody would have really expected them to be in the top half. And I think the only other person that Jim hasn't really mentioned is Walter Mazzari at, at Watford. A lot of questions asked again when they got rid of Kike Sanchez-Flores in the summer. Watford seems to change the manager every summer and it seems to pay off. <laughs> it's, it's weird. You normally think stability is the, the way to get progress, but Watford seventh in the league. Fantastic win over Everton on Saturday. Despite the fact Igalo, who was one of their best players last season, has done nothing this season. Troy Deeney hasn't scored for two months, 10 weeks or something. I think he's on the brink of 100 goals for Watford. That seems to be having an impact. Started with Stefano Okoko up front on Saturday. Terrible player. Scored two goals. <laughs> There's obviously something going right at Watford and it looks like they're going to steer clear of, of relegation trouble quite easily. So all credit to Walter Mazzari, who quite honestly, I did not know anything about before this season. He's got a 
middling team in the top half of the Premier League. So all credit to him. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, as you said, it is fairly obvious who I'm going to go with. Um, Pochettino. Yeah. Can't believe no. no one said Sean Dyche. I was just being polite, thinking somebody else. <laughs> and you were waiting for everybody else. And to nobody else has mentioned it. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, with Alan Pardew. No, uh, yeah. yeah. Actually, I, I do want to mention him though because it, it, it's he's impressive. probably the most frustrating manager ever. When it goes well, it goes really well. When it goes bad, it goes horrible. How many have they lost in last? I think they lost six of the last ten games and drawn two and and won two. Uh, and I remember just when he took over, I thought, wow, Crystal Palace, they're really going places now. Um, but, but it seems they, they're not. So, uh, <laughs> to be fair, apart- they go a lot of places, they go up a lot, and then they go down a lot, oh, and yeah. then they go up again. <laughs> so they do go to places, they just don't really get anywhere overall. Normally all in uh, about half an hour's time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> down 3 mil, up 4-3, down 5-3, yeah. It's a mess. We saw that against Hull as well this weekend, didn't we? Uh, yeah. yeah, incredible. It's it's Very actually really funny because I I do uh, work with Jay who runs the Eagles Beak and I'm part of their WhatsApp group and the amount of like party out to party in to uh, give him time. Oh, we're on a point tally to be safe. Like by goal, like in live action is hilarious. The guy's taking years off people's lives surely this year. Like the amount of turnarounds and late goals that you have to watch. Just the Swansea time. match on its own. Yeah. <laughs> that wipes five years off your life easily, surely. It's just incredible. Like, it, I, your heart just wouldn't be able to take it after a little while. And you know it's coming as well. There is no assurance of, like, a solid kind of performance with him. It's literally feast or famine. And it must be such a weird mindset to be in where you know that you turn up and it could be, you know, either the best day of the season or the absolute <laughs> worst, regardless of who you're playing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the attack's does. working. They have a top five attack in the Premier League right now. Um, That's the rest true, of it, uh, well. <laughs> but apart from him, um, I, I have a lot of respect for, for what Jurgen Klopp is doing over at Liverpool because I think what he's building towards is something which is really great. Whereas with Brendan Rodgers before, it always felt like it was not really going anywhere. And if it was going anywhere, it was backwards. So uh, I think I think Klopp, um, within a few years, Liverpool uh, are going to win some titles. I don't I don't know if they're going to win the Premier League because uh, I, I don't want them to, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> but they might. And I, I I admit a couple of weeks ago I thought I thought they they would be actually the, my favourites to do it. Obviously now I think uh, we might be favourites with uh, with nine wins and. A row. Um, Conte's he's done an amazing job. I, I don't think it can be said enough just how incredible this is. It would be different if we were coming off the back of a successful season where we'd, you know, at least finished in the top three or something. Then the jump from third to first would would be brilliant, but you know, it would be not sensational. Um, I don't know if you can call it sensational now but to win nine games in a row that is top top class and you have to be a, a top class manager to to turn things around basically within a week of just new tactics he, he fixed the problems that we had and we've conceded what three goals in the last nine games and scored 23 i, I believe so um 
I, I'm very, very happy. And he seems like a very likable uh, person as well. He seems very down to earth, which is maybe not something you could have said about our previous manager, uh, who I was a very big fan of. He was brilliant. And uh, I appreciate everything he's done for Chelsea. And, and as such, I wish him all the best. Um, but obviously now that he's at United, I... I I don't really, but uh, <laughs> it is true. Well, what, you wish him the best every week he's not playing Chelsea. Take points off everyone else. Not really. To be honest with you, I wouldn't <laughs> mind. <laughs> he's just picked the wrong club, you know. It would be worse if he was if he was manager of Tottenham. But um, that is something else I do want to bring up. I, I think Pochettino has done a tremendous job as well. I do actually think that. Um, obviously, I don't like Tottenham that much, but They've they've become a real force, and and whenever we play them, it's it's not a certain three points, um, and and it's not even certain that we're going to get a draw from it, uh, especially well it is when we're playing at home. You know, was that twenty seven years now, Kevin? Uh, um, <laughs> just had to bring that stat up as well. <laughs> um, but apart from that, yeah, Klopp, Klopp and Pochettino, they would be my my two other top managers that that um I mean of the top six that I would really point out I, I'm not going to speak too fondly about Wenger because I, I think it's always one step forward and and one step back not two steps back just one step back again for him uh, I think Arsenal if, if they're really to become a, a threat in Europe especially they might need to go for someone else I don't know if Eddie Howe is, is, uh, would be my candidate for the job but he is certainly a, a decent manager as well Um of other managers that I do like, uh, I would say actually Karanka at Middlesbrough. Obviously, mm. he spent loads of money compared to uh, to other clubs around him, but I do like the way he sets up his team, and he it's very attacking, it's it's a very entertaining team to watch. And and when we beat them away, it was anything but easy as well. Um, and I I really I have a lot of respect for him and and Billich as well at West Ham. Uh, obviously, two clubs that are not doing well right now, Middlesbrough and and, and West Ham. But um, but I think the managers they they've got more in them than they're currently showing. Yeah, um, I agree with all that. Uh, yeah, fine. Conte is the best manager right now. Whatever. Um, but uh, it is interesting, uh, as was already mentioned, that this was supposed to be like the year of the manager. That was on advertisements and billboards and all kinds of stuff. Of, you have Guardiola and Mourinho against each other, and you still have Wenger. Now you have Conte coming in, and Pochettino was on the way up, and all these high-profile managers. And it, it uh, I started this and whole Dash, topic. Right. Yeah, and Deitch, and Deitch, right, and uh, Ranieri, <laughs> and uh, everyone else, all other managers. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously on form, you, you tend to need to go that way. Uh, Jim, I actually have a, a managerial-related question for you. Uh, this is kind of a crackpot theory, and I saw half the match, so I hope it's not super wrong, but it could be. One of my thoughts when I was watching yesterday was, is it possible that Guardiola just didn't understand how Leicester clicked last year? Because it seemed like the way they set up was the way everyone set up against you last year, which obviously led to you not having loads of possession and then counterattacking and then just destroying everyone. It, and I don't know. Just my first thought was, is was that because he wasn't here last year? He didn't see how Leicester played, and so he was a little naive, perhaps, in that way. I mean, yeah. I mean, that is the 
I think, the most obvious explanation of how he set that team up because I'm glad you brought this up, actually, because I completely kind of let it slip my mind in the delusion, you know, the delusional happiness of winning a game. Um, <laughs> but they were set up abysmally bad to take us on. Like, appreciate injuries and stuff, but they they couldn't have played any more into our hands if they'd tried. Uh, if if I'd set the Man City team up, I couldn't have set it up any more to play into our hands than Guardiola yeah. did. Um, the the high line with the 40 yards of vacant space and the <laughs> defenders that didn't seem to know what an attacking press was. Um, a goalkeeper who was so indecisive, he looks like he'd struggle to work out what to have for breakfast, let alone to come and clear a ball um, out <laughs> from his area or not. Um, just... Yeah, no confidence. And the thing is, if if that is true, I'm not saying it is, but it is an obvious explanation for how they set up. That is a massively worrying trend to set that, yeah, okay, we're not going to win the league this year. We're not going to be title challengers. But if you're not scouting ahead of Premier League opposition, particularly because every single team, almost every single team without fail that has played us this year, has given you a blueprint of how not to get beaten by mm. Leicester circa 2015-16. That I would be really worried about that trend as a Manchester City fan. Um, and you know, his it, the, the big quote that came out of his press conference afterwards was that I don't train my team for tackles because apparently, according to the stats, they hadn't made a tackle in the first 35 minutes of the game. Um, obviously, a three 0 down by that point. So yeah, missed tackles will, will lead to gold, or or not non attempted tackles will lead to that situation. But okay, you're Pep Guardiola, and you have this kind of philosophy of football. But surely you have to not be arrogant enough to believe that you can just out football every single team that you come up against, especially with a weakened team against a side that have basically one way of playing. Um, and if you shut that way down, it's very difficult for us to beat teams, um, especially with the injuries that we've got at the moment. We've got such a soft centre. It's untrue. So, yeah, I would be, you know, I'm not saying he's not all he's cracked up to be. You can't judge his entire managerial career and, you know, his his, you know, what he's won is is brilliant in the game um, at Bayern Munich and Barcelona and everything. You know, he's won almost everything there is to win in club football. But. I would certainly be a little bit worried if I was Manchester City because he's got the t- the biggest managerial job of his entire career on at the moment. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, that's, you know, it's certainly a worrying precedent to set uh, when you're unable to identify the basic strengths of an opposition team um, and fail to, to even attempt to shut them down. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that I didn't completely misread that. And the oh, yeah. Your, your half-baked crackpot theory turned out to be quite. <laughs> hey, I mean, it was totally on purpose, and I nailed it. And I totally watched that whole match. Cough. Um, but anyway, the, we discussed all those big guys. I just thought it was worth giving a shout because uh, at the beginning of the season, fairly early on, I thought uh, both uh, David Moyes and sorry, David Moyes. Wow, he's Spanish now. Um, <laughs> Real Sociedad's David Moyes. David Moyes. Um, (laughs) um, Oh, man. Now I'm just blanking. Oh, Mark Hughes. I thought the way that they both started, that both of them were on the way out, and they both have led fairly impressive turnarounds. So just worth giving them a little bit of mention there. Uh, All right, now we will head quickly into Player Watch, where we're each going to talk about a player that impressed and one that disappointed in our most recent match. If you don't want to point anybody out on your team that did not perform up to standards, you can mention someone from the other team that did impress you. Start with you, Jim. 
um, it's really difficult uh, because we played so well to identify someone who, who um, played badly. But yeah, certainly uh, in terms of players that impressed, I think it's got to be Vardy. Um, got back to scoring ways in emphatic form. His first ever Leicester hat-trick, uh, which given you know the goal-scoring records and stuff that he broke last year, is might be a surprise to I, some. And, and how- yeah, I just kind of assumed. Yeah, I mean, especially in the championship, I guess, like the season we got promoted... Uh, with Burnley, that you know, you would have probably assumed that he'd have scored a hat trick at that lower level, given how well he's taken to Premier League after that kind of adjustment period. But yeah, apparently never scored one for us before. So he scored plenty of twos, I think, but but never a three, um, a hat trick. So yeah, I think he's got to be player of the match for sure. Uh, there wasn't anybody that really disappointed in the Leicester team, obviously. Uh, even the, even the players that I've normally got a ready uh, ready made criticism of were were, were outstanding. Um, in terms of a player who impressed from the opposition team again, quite a slim picking field. Uh, given that Manchester City was so awful, I think the the one classy kind of player that I picked out of their team was was Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, he wasn't at his best yesterday. That much is is blatantly obvious, but he he just has that extra second on the ball I think you know when you watch certain players and they look like they've just got more time on the ball than they have um you know, the way he moves uh with the ball and his quality of his delivery is is, is so good uh, and so consistent you know he's going to be such a big part of that team if they're to to snap out of this little kind of funk that they're in and put down a, a, a title challenge which they're going to have to do soon otherwise it's going to be game over uh, I think the way Chelsea are going so yeah he was he was probably the best of a very very bad bunch on the Manchester City side for me yesterday I think a few players stood out for for Burnley but I didn't actually talk about it earlier but it was a pair of substitutions by Sean Dyer shortly after half time that really made a massive difference um, in the game one of the players who came on was Andre Gray who he's not had the the best season um, compared to maybe what people were expecting. A lot of people would have probably thought Gray would be our main goal threat, one of our most important players. Obviously, he's had the suspension. He's struggled to get back in the team after that. But he had a fantastic impact off the bench on Saturday. At the time when Bournemouth were on top, he gave us an out ball with his excellent pace. He was so dangerous on the counter-attack. And he also created the winning goal with... A terrific back heel for George Boyd, showing the sort of creativity and and cleverness that we've not really seen from Andre Gray. Who, before then, he seems to be all be about pace and power. So he's obviously added something else to his game while he's been out of the team. And hopefully now, he gave a big interview about um, the social media comments and stuff last week as well. So hopefully everyone can draw a line under that um, little period in his life, move on, and hopefully he'll start scoring plenty of goals for us in the Premier League. Um, in what was a very good team performance, it's hard to single out players who didn't perform as well as expected, but I think Scott Arfield is still struggling a little bit with the pace of the Premier League. He's not really contributed a lot this season. He scored a winner against Everton earlier in the season, but we've just not seen enough from him. And with um, Johan Goodmanson coming back to fitness, hopefully um, for the games over Christmas, I suspect that Arfield might well be the one to drop out of the team. He's just not really looking like he's cut out for the Premier League at the moment, which is understandable because he's played most of his career in the Championship or even below that, so it's probably just a step too far for him. But certainly Andre Gray, someone who was extremely impressive at the weekend, and I'm really hopeful now that it's going to be a new chapter in Gray's career and he's going to kick on from here and be really impressive for the rest of the season. 
one player that really stood out for me um, today against against West Brom, it would have to be uh, Diego Costa with his 12th goal of the season in the league. Um, really, really good. He basically won the match single-handedly because there was nothing on when he chased down the ball and uh, he took it from the defender and just finished it beautifully up in the top corner. Um, I think if he hadn't done that, it would have been uh, a draw for sure, nil-nil. Um, so he basically earned us two points today single-handedly and uh, it's brilliant to have a striker like that. He can be completely anonymous for the majority of the game and then suddenly pop up and do something like that and that's all he needs to do. You know? If he does that once or twice a game, then uh, then everybody's happy. Uh, so really, really happy to, to have someone scoring goals for us when, when we need them. Um, a few other players that were pretty good today as well. I would, I would, I would have to say Victor Moses. He uh, he had a lot of desire. He he ran at the opposition um, more so than than any other other attacking players. And, you know, Victor Moses is a wing back even. So Hazard and Pedro they they tried and, and they did all right really, but it it was difficult against um, opposition with. 10 men behind the ball. Um, it's always difficult when, when teams set up like that and when Tony Pulis is their manager, it doesn't make it easier. Um, the one player that disappointed the most today was actually David Lewis, who has been really, really good since he returned to the club. But today he, he just looked off the pace and, and got bullied by some London um, a few times. And I can't help but wonder if it's it's down to to the tackle that Aguero basically tried to kill him with last week. That was horrendous um, to watch. And Conte said yesterday that he, well, he said on Friday that um, he might not be ready for the game because he was still struggling uh, with the aftermath of that tackle. Um, so I, I can excuse him for for putting in a. Not, not not a great performance. Fortunately, Gary Cahill was very good today as well. Very, very good. And had a few vital blocks and interceptions. So um, Costa, Costa and Cahill, they were the standouts today. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good, hard-fought win. Mm. I, uh, just speaking about centre-backs, had a question and just realised you'd be the kind of person that would potentially know the answer. What is going on with Andreas Christensen and why can you not bring him back to the club? Um, or do you not want to, which seems insane considering how good he's been? He has been very good, although actually he's been struggling with injury for a few months now. He's obviously back and uh, scored the winner today for Gladbach. So um, I, I think essentially you don't want to interrupt uh, the fact that he has got a really good flow and a really good thing going on at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. But, uh, but I think next season he might be be more involved at Chelsea. I think it's 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 make or break. Um, not because he has ruined any other chances. It's obviously going to be his first chance, really. But I think that he has quite high demands. I believe that his agent is is also uh, his dad, and um, <laughs> and he's previously gone on record to say that yeah, Chelsea don't really deserve Andreas if they don't give him any game time. Blah blah blah, but 
as far as I've heard, um, Conte is is quite a big fan of of Andreas. So um, hopefully next season we'll get to see him in a Chelsea shirt. Um, the reason we're not bringing him back this season is because I think first of all it's going pretty well right now. I don't know if you've realised, Kevin. We've had uh, <laughs> it has gone seven clean sheets out of the last nine. I think uh, with uh, your clean sheet today and us conceding that you're now in Seoul first for a best defensive record. We probably are. Um, and we've got we've got Luis, we've got Cahill, and Aspilicueta currently occupying those three uh, positions at the back. Then we've got John Terry as well, and we've got uh, Kurt Zuma coming back. So I don't really think we need Christensen, and, uh, and next season we're going to have a bit of a problem trying to figure out who's going to be was going to be the three preferred ones. Obviously, JT might be might be on his last season as a Chelsea player, and uh, I wonder if Gary Cahill is going to going to survive the summer next season if Christensen comes back and and shines uh, during preseason. Um, that's going to be a really interesting uh, topic to follow uh, during the summer. Fair enough. Well, you heard it here first about uh, eight months early then, but uh, a very interesting situation for sure. Uh, for Tottenham, player that impressed the most, oh man, we were not super great. Oh God, if I say Sissoko, I might have an actual conniption fit. Um, he had that good header and everything. Oh man. Oh dear. I, I really hate how much I'm turning on Wanyama because he continues to do exactly what he's made to do, but his lack of uh, dimension to his game is starting to be very, very frustrating. Uh, Safe was mentioning during the match today. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we had somebody that could pass the ball in midfield? Like, genuinely, Harry Winks is the best passer of the ball in, in our central midfield. That's largely unacceptable for a club that claims to be competing at the levels uh, of the other big clubs in, in uh, England and indeed uh, Europe, which we saw us not do so well in uh, as far as the Champions League goes. We do need that. Dembele didn't have a good match. Kane didn't have a good match. Ali was uh, just so frustrating. Um, I'm going to assume that Kyle Walker did some great stuff today. Uh, honestly, it's so hard to say anybody that impressed for us. So it's the other way. He was impressive for United. Martial had a good start to the game. Didn't do a whole lot after that. It really wasn't that great a match. Um, great. So now <laughs> going to move on to match previews uh, because we do have those because we have uh, matches coming thick and fast as has been mentioned a couple of times uh, already on this show. We'll start off with you, Jim. You're going to be traveling to face Bournemouth. Uh, do you think we'll see a lot of rotation out of you guys? I can't see a huge amount of rotation mostly because we are still so injury stricken in key areas that I think that we probably haven't got the personnel uh, to change a huge amount. Um, one thing actually that, that might be kind of significant from the Bournemouth game will be um, a return to, to action for um, Napolis Mende and potentially Matty James as well. Uh, Matty James literally came on for, for 30 seconds uh, on Saturday, but that's a huge thing for him. Um, he's been out injured uh, for the best part of 18 months. Uh, so obviously was a big part of the, the championship promotion team with Danny Drinkwater Um got injured at the end of the Premier League season before we brought in N'Golo Kante and has essentially been out injured since. Um, so it was a huge thing for him and obviously got a stand innovation coming back into the team um, 
a very, very young and well, young when we signed him and, and promising player, uh, still has plenty to offer, I think, to a Premier League team. So it'll be exciting to potentially see him get a start if he if he's fit enough, uh, and hopefully Mendy can come in as well. Uh, with Drinkwater still injured, it might be time to to switch the central midfield partnership up a bit. But given how well we played, I can't see Ranieri changing too much. I won't be surprised to see an unchanged eleven again. Uh, given that you know there is no Champions League to worry about, so we'll probably just play our strongest eleven until the point at which one of them falls down uh, from exhaustion, and then we'll drop somebody in. Uh, but yeah, I can't see us changing too much. But it's uh, it's an intriguing game because I think Bournemouth are a little bit hit and miss at the moment. We saw their best against Liverpool uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then we've seen kind of a few middling to, to poor performances. So it'll be interesting uh, at Dean Court or the Vitality Stadium or whatever they're calling it these days um, to see which Bournemouth turns up. But yeah, certainly a winnable game, and I think one that we should have a you know hope uh, quite a lot of hope of going into with taking some something positive out of. All right, and Rasmus, Chelsea, of course, traveling to the Stadium of Light. You already kind of mentioned this uh, at the Open as what you would view clearly as a winnable match. Do you think we might see any surprises, though? Um, we could. You never know. I mean, it's a, it's a topic against bottom, and, and it's happened before, hasn't it, where the underdog has come out on top. Um, I do feel that this is one that we really, really should win, uh, even more so than the rest of the fixtures, because... I don't think Sunderland's defence would be good enough, even if they just parked the bus uh, and put everyone behind the ball. I don't think they would be good enough to keep out um, Acosta, who's on form, Hazard, who's on form, Pedro, who's on form. Will we see Uh, all of them, though? Sorry? I mean, we talked about players that could be getting a chance earlier. Are you going to roll out your best full team on just two days rest? I definitely... I think we are. I think we're trying to do okay. exactly what Leicester did last season and play the same eleven every week and just get that chemistry going between the the starting players and and you saw what it did for Leicester last season. Mm. Um, it worked wonders, and I think that's pretty much the same idea that Conte has got. That if you stick to the same people, they will know each other better and better on the field, and will continue to play better and better. Um, so I think I think he's gonna he's gonna play. He's going to play the same starting eleven as he usually does. The only thing he might switch around might be to put Fabregas in instead of Matic because he did pretty well against City. He Fabregas's biggest problem is obviously the fact that he's he's not the fastest and he he can't really keep up with with pacey players. Uh, where Matic is slightly better at that, and we saw that a few times against City. He did get overrun, but. I don't think anyone in the Premier League can can play a pass like Cesc Fabregas can play a pass because he's uh, he's got tremendous vision um, and a, a time and time again he proves it. He proves exactly what we have with him and what we don't have when we play him. Uh, I think against Sunderland it might be he might be given a chance, but I I, I actually doubt it. I think he's just gonna. I think Conte's just going to go with the same starting eleven that he usually does, and I think it's going to produce the same result. Fair enough. And now over to you, Jamie, where we're going to talk briefly about your match against West Ham, who are clearly not in a great place right now, although they do manage the draw today, and with a manager who is very much on the hot seat. Yeah, back-to-back away games for us, actually, in London this week. We've got Spurs on Sunday as well, so... Um, I don't know if the team is staying over. I'm sure there'll be a lot of fans that make a week of it. 
it was probably the ideal fixture, really, West Ham away for a team that's been so poor away from home. This season, we've only got one point from six games on the road, only scored one goal in those games, and none of them have been from open play. That one goal was a penalty, so couldn't really be that much worse <laughs> away from home. But West Ham have been so poor at um, London Stadium that it's obviously a massive opportunity for us, although they were decent today against against Liverpool Anfield. So it's, it's a big opportunity for us. Um, in terms of rotation, obviously three games in a week, you can't play the same team um, in all three of those games, I wouldn't think. But I would imagine we'll play as strong a team as possible for West Ham and then if we need to rest players we'll do so against Spurs which is probably a bit of a freebie for us um, but yeah we need to start getting results away from home and, and West Ham are a team that are struggling they're down the bottom they're obviously not settled into their new home they're very vulnerable defensively we saw today that in goal they've got a goalkeeper who's just not a Premier League goalkeeper or anything like a Premier League goalkeeper so that's an obvious weakness as well we've got players that can hurt us but we've got players that can hurt teams in the Premier League as well so I'm quite confident about this one I'm, I think we can get something it might only be a point but that would be our second point away from home in the Premier League <laughs> this season so uh, baby steps it's obviously all going to be about home results for, for Burnley this season at Fortress Turf more we're going to get most of our points there so Expectations quite low, but hopeful that we can get certainly a point at West Ham, and if we win it, it'd be fantastic. Yeah, and then lastly, Tottenham versus Hull. Hull for about four days weren't the worst defense in the Premier League. It was Swansea, uh, but then Swansea keep a clean sheet. Hull allow three, uh, and so now we're back to Hull being the worst defense in the league, and that's who Tottenham get to come up against. Uh, we do tend to perform well against weaker opposition, although for years it felt the opposite that we'd show up for big matches and play down to the level of whoever we were playing. Uh, there is, uh, I, as much as I hate this narrative, there is a bit of re- revenge game element, as Hull have so many former Tottenham players with Huddleston and Livermore and Dawson and now Mason. Um, it seems like it's most of them at this point. Uh, but we should be able to take care of business in this one. I do think we'll see some rotation because we basically played the same 11 um, bar Winks and Dembele uh, in, on Wednesday in the Champions League and then already at the weekend. Do I think we'll be able to do that again for Wednesday and then again on Sunday? No. So I think one of those weeks uh, we'll see a little bit more substitution. But uh, Jansen is injured, so we don't really have anybody that can swap for Kane. So you got to figure his spot is pretty well locked down. There's no Lamella, um, so that means at least one of Erickson or Ali or Son is, is guaranteed a spot still. Maybe we see Sissoko get a run out. He did do a fairly good job once he came on as a substitute, although nothing he does leads to anything. But as an individual performer, he probably had the most initiative of anyone for us today. Um, maybe we see Dyer and Winks in the midfield instead of Wanyama and, and them. We know that Pochettino is comfortable swapping his wing back, so this seems like it would be a Trippier and Davis game. Uh, Davis just overcoming injury and making the bench today. So, yeah, I think we'll probably see a whole lot of shifting. I don't know if it's going to be Wednesday or uh, the following weekend against Burnley, but we're going to have to move some pieces around, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's the whole match, knowing that they are one of the uh, <laughs> more beleaguered sides in the Premier League at the moment, I suppose would be the kind way to say that. All right, and that will do it uh, for us today. So if you would like to tell the folks where to find you, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight 88 uh, or you can read my stuff on uh, Goal.com, Soccerway, or any other various perform 
uh, group betting outlets. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've been Jamie Smith. Um, I write for a lot of the same people as Jamie. You can also find my thoughts on Burnley, on ESPN FC, and if for some reason you wanted to hear more from my voice, you can listen to the Non and Ever podcast, which is at nonandever.net. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, if you have any questions or complaints about anything I've said on the <laughs> podcast today, please direct your attention towards my Twitter account at Chelsea Rumors. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, guys. I've been your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff, right over at the Eagles Beak, and also do uh, the fantasy show on this channel, FPL Roundtable. Also do video content now for VIPbet.com, so be sure to check that out. Uh, and this also goes up on allinsportstalk.com and at the All Sports Talk app, which you can find in both the Google Play Store and the Apple Store. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.